Well, last week was such a great week. I don't know if you remember, remember last Sunday. Uh, had a great morning worship time. We came back last Sunday evening and had a special concert celebrating freedom. Had a great group here for that. And we went outside and fellowshiped and ate hot dogs and hamburgers. It, just a, it was a great, great night. We had uh, the July 4th holiday last uh, Monday. And then, all hell broke loose. I don't use that in a crude sense. I mean, Satan was at work last week. He was at work last week. And it was a tough week, gut-wrenching. I just felt heavy all week long with all the events that transpired. And it seemed to just get worse and worse and worse. Uh, Before I'd go to bed at night, I'd check my news feed and see bad news. When I wake up in the morning, I'd check my news feed and see more bad news. And I I had a sermon ready on the Trinity and the Word of God, which I'll preach next time we're all together. Uh, But the Lord just began to direct my heart to say, you know what, this Sunday, let's, let's step aside from the sermon series and let's talk about the issues that are swirling in our nation from a biblical perspective. Because what we need to do is we need to look at these things and evaluate these things through the lens of the Bible. We need to understand these things from a Christian world view. And then we need to take the right kind of action. I'm going to talk to you about uh, some of that this morning. So to start off, just turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'd love to ask you, if you're physically able this morning, to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Appreciate John so much coming and sharing with us this morning. He sat down and shared that vision with me, and my first thought was, I want him to get in front of our people to, to hear that vision, because I know your heart's resonating with what God is doing through this idea. And I just want to challenge you to just consider being a part of uh, that, that ministry. Maybe your family wants to sponsor a toolbox, or maybe you want to sponsor 10 toolboxes or 40 toolboxes or whatever the Lord lays on your heart. Uh, but John will be here to talk to you afterwards, but uh, we're excited about what God's doing. Aren't you so excited about what God is doing through the, the potential of that, of, of that initiative? Luke chapter 10, verse 25, the Bible says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now, what Jesus means there is do this perfectly and you will live. Anybody perfect uh, when it comes to loving God completely and loving your neighbor as yourself? Anyone here have a perfect record? No, we don't. But this man thought he did. This man thought he had a perfect record. This man thought that he had obeyed all of God's laws. He had earned his way to heaven. Notice this question. What must I do to have eternal life? What what I do to achieve, to earn righteousness? So look what happens next. He, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This man wanted to prove that he was a man 
who loved his neighbor. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. Notice here the hero of the story is a Samaritan. Now Jesus is talking to a Jewish man and the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. You really want to love your neighbor? It means you love everyone, even people who are different than you. This Samaritan man showed mercy to someone who was different than him. And Jesus is calling this lawyer to live up to the example of the Samaritan. Let's pray together this morning. Father, the first song we sang this morning declared our need for you. Oh, how we need you. We need your help, your grace, your mercy, your guidance, your wisdom, your strength, your perspective, your truth. We need you. We need the power of the Spirit to fill up our lives so that we can live lives of consequence, lives that matter, lives that make a difference. And so, Lord, by your Spirit today, would you draw near to us as we talk about your Word and and view the events of this past week through the lens of your word, I pray that you would give us clarity, that you would grant us healing, and that you would chart a course for us moving forward. That we might be the church. and That we might lead out to make a difference in this country. We need you, Lord. We need you in this moment. We need you every hour. So, Lord, would you draw near to us as we, as we fix our eyes upon Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We'll get back to Luke 10 in just a few moments. But before we do that, I want to just kind of walk you through some, some pastoral admonitions. I was thinking uh, the end of this week and the weekend how I could address you what I could share with you that would be helpful again to bring things into a biblical perspective, to view things from a biblical worldview, but also to call us to action. My my goal this morning is not just to give you some information. My goal is to equip you to be the church. It's important that we not just come to church. It's important that we be the church. Amen? Not just here in these walls, but when we are out there in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families. It is important that we be the church, that we live out 
biblical values, letting the light of Jesus Christ shine brightly through our lives. And so these admonitions are to help you to think through these issues, but also to call you to fervent, passionate action for the glory of God. So here's the first admonition that I have. You ready? Weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. We gave you a, a blank slate this morning for the, uh, the sermon because honestly I didn't have my remarks ready by the end of the week to, to print out for the notes. So I said just give them a blank sheet and they can follow along there with me. Uh, but we need to learn to weep with those who weep. Now look over with me in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 19. That's what James says to these believers he's writing to. Know this, my beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now let me just share my heart with you this morning. I believe that social media has made it very difficult for us to obey this verse. Because when something happens, we immediately want to post or share or like. And we really don't know all of the issues. We haven't thought through it. We don't even know what we are, 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 are portraying in our social media post. And instead of thinking through things prayerfully, we are posting things quickly and, and very, very quickly what happens. Lines get drawn, right? Because of what's happening on social media. And the Bible says that we as Christians ought to be slow to speak. We, we ought to be quick to hear, but slow to speak and, and slow to anger. And so I want to encourage you that, um, that as Christians we ought to be thoughtful. We ought not just to jump into the social media fray without having thought through these things very carefully, very biblically, and have a desire to to post things that are actually going to, to help the situation and help people and communicate the right truths from God's Word. I want to just be, you know, I, I'm not a huge social media fan. We use it here as our ch- at our church to help communicate. I know there's some good things. You, there's connectivity through social media. There's communication that can happen very easily through social media. But I'm telling you that the devil can use social media as a tool of destruction. He can so we've got to be very careful because we can disobey this. Some, for some reason, when we post something, it doesn't seem as real and immediate as, as when we say something. But when we post something, it's like saying something, right? We can be very insensitive, very callous. We can post before we even know the facts of what's happening. And that can be very, very dangerous. So let me encourage you. Instead of being quick to speak... I want to encourage you just to learn, as a Christian, this is a Christian thing, just to learn to weep. Look with me over in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, look what it says in verse 15. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So when there is brokenness that we see in our world, when there is sadness and tragedy, listen to me, the Christian's first response should be to mourn. To mourn with those who mourn. Not to to post, but to mourn. That is so very integral. So this past week, I've tried to learn. I've, I've tried to listen. I've read a lot this past week. I've read articles from secular sources, from Christian sources. I've, I've read some very powerful things from some African-American church leaders who I love and respect, godly, godly men that are writing on this issue. And I've tried to learn and, and I've tried to listen. And, and listen, here's, here's what I, I think I hear folks saying about the events of this past week. And I want you to hear me very carefully. I'm trying to communicate on behalf of others, so I want, I want to be very clear. But what I think I hear people saying is this. First of all, before you speak to an issue, put yourself in the other person's shoes. That's good, that's good counsel, isn't it? That's good counsel for all of life. Before you speak, before you have an opinion or a view, put yourself in the other person's shoes. And I think I hear our, 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 our African-American uh, Christian leaders saying this. Before you jump to talking about extenuating circumstances and the things revolving around the tragedies, can you just be brokenhearted? Can, can you just weep with those who weep? Can you just mourn with those who mourn? Now, I saw the videos this past week and and it was gut-wrenching to watch, and, and I don't know the situation, you don't know the situation, there, there's due process that's happening, and due process ought to happen in our nation, and so we support the due process, we pray for justice. By the way, Christians ought to be leaders in justice, we ought to pray for justice to be done, amen? But don't forget to weep. Don't forget to mourn with those who are mourning. That's what Christians ought to do. And if our African-American brothers and sisters are mourning and weeping, we ought to mourn and weep with them. That's not, that's not opinion. That's not political correctness. That's Bible. Weep with those who weep. So my first admonition is just, just mourn. Let the conditions that have that have transpired in our nation lead you to a place of brokenness and mourning to say, God, oh, how we need you. At the end of the service, we're going to have a time of prayer where you can just cry out to God and say, God, on behalf of our nation, we need you. So learn to mourn. Maybe we should follow this rule. Before we say something or post something on social media, maybe we should wait and see if any tears stream down our cheeks. Weep with those who weep. And so here's the admonition. While we pray for justice in all situations, and we are praying for justice, we want to recognize tragedies as being tragedies. Here's the second admonition I have for you related to addressing these issues, looking at them from a biblical perspective. Support our law enforcement. Support our law enforcement. Romans 13 is very, very clear. I want you to look there with me. Romans chapter 13. You're already in chapter 12. So look down with me in chapter 13. Look what it says in verse 1. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. So it's calling those who are in authority, who are tasked to protect us, it's calling those folks God's servant. Look, Look what it says in the next verse. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. It calls here those who have the role of protecting us ministers of God. They are placed there by God, uh, ordained by God to protect us, and we are to, to recognize their authority in our land. That is a biblical statement. This last Thursday was the deadliest day for law enforcement officers since 9-11. And you saw the events transpire just like I did, and it was tragic, and it was scary, and they're still finding out more and more about that, um, that tragedy. But it was a, a scary day for our law enforcement, and it's just a reminder that those who serve and protect us have a very dangerous job. And Christians, listen to me, Christians ought to lead the way in praying for our law enforcement and being grateful for our law enforcement. Uh, Our church has many uh, folks that are members here that are in law enforcement. Some of the best people I know, members of our church, that are serving and protecting you. And we ought to be grateful for them. I want to say that we support our law enforcement. Without equivocation, without reservation, we love you. We pray for you. We support you. May God use you. Listen to me. May God use you as a mighty force for good in our community. Now some might say, are you saying there's no such thing as bad cops? I'm not saying that. Of course there are bad cops out there. There are bad pastors out there. But you still love your pastor, don't you? Yeah, there are bad cops. And listen to me. No one wants the bad cops brought to justice more than the good cops. Right? So I'm, I'm grateful for our law enforcement. And, and those who are members of our church and, and, and those who are uh, come in contact with our church, we want them to know we love them, we support them, we're grateful for them, we are praying for them. May God use you as a mighty force for good. And so we're going to weep with those who weep, and we're going to support our law enforcement. Those are both biblical admonitions for Christians. But here's the third thing, and this is where we get to, uh, to, to really uh, our, our response and how we can make a difference. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now, back in Luke chapter 10, this lawyer was looking to justify himself and he wanted to communicate to Jesus, well, listen, if, if it's all about you know, loving your neighbor, I've done pretty good at that. I, I, am, I am so um, warm and compassionate and friendly with my Jewish neighbors. I've done a great job. And, and Jesus shares this parable to say, what about people that aren't like you? And to illustrate that, he makes the Samaritan, who many Jews hated, he makes the Samaritan 
the hero of the story. And what does the Samaritan do? He shows mercy. He shows compassion. He loves those that aren't like him. And the point was very, very clear to this this lawyer. Do you really love your neighbor? Do you really love your neighbor? And let me just say to you this morning, as we think about Luke 10 and the Good Samaritan, listen to me. Do you really love your neighbor? Not just the person that is like you in terms of race or socioeconomic status. But do you even love folks that are different than you? Do you really love your neighbor? The Bible calls us to this. In his remarks at a gathering on Friday, the Dallas mayor, Mike Rawlings, said this, We will not shy away from the very real fact that we are struggling with racial issues. To get up here and talk about this past week and not talk about racial issues would be disingenuous of your pastor. And he says it would be, it would, it would be uh, wrong for us to shy away from talking about this fact. And so we want to love our neighbors. How do we do that? Here's the the admonition. Here's how we're going to lead. You ready? We will, our church, we will lead the way in racial reconciliation by loving all people, welcoming all people, and ministering to all people. Regardless of background, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, we want, by the help of God's grace, by the power of His Spirit, we want to love all people, welcome all people, and minister to all people. In other words, as Christians, we are, we are saying that racism, for any reason, is a, an egregious sin against God. It's a sin. It's wrong. I've heard people say, well, wait, that's just the way I was raised. Listen to me, and I say this with all love in my heart. If that's how you were raised, you were raised wrong. I'm not saying your parents were evil people or grandparents, but I'm saying in that issue, they were wrong. And it's time to say, Jesus is my Lord. And I want to do what honors him. And if there are any vestiges of, of, of prejudice in my life, I want Jesus to annihilate those vestiges. I want him to put them away. So there's no barrier in loving other people who are different than me. The Bible says that, that the world will know that we are Christians by our love. And so, we are called to love all people and to put away racism. This past week, I, I watched a movie about Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens, great athlete in the 1930s, African-American track star. He ran track for Ohio State University, and he earned his way onto the Olympic team, and he went to the Olympics in 1936 to Berlin. And you know who was the leader of the German nation during the Berlin Olympics, Adolf Hitler, who held on to this, this myth of a superior race. And right there before Adolf Hitler, Jesse Owens won four gold medals. It was awesome. It was awesome. Four gold medals. In your face, Hitler, right? 
And he was a, an international and national star. Jesse Owens and his wife came back to America. He was being celebrated. He was the toast of the town. But here's how the movie ended. And I looked it up to see if this was accurate. This was historically accurate. They held a special dinner for Jesse Owens and his wife to celebrate his accomplishments at the Olympic Games at the Waldorf Astoria Ballroom in New York City. So that's pretty awesome. 1936, they're honoring this African-American man for his gold medals. As they walked up to the hotel to enter and go into the uh, ballroom, uh, the doorman stopped them and said to Jesse Owens and his wife, you have to go through the servant's entrance. He was with his coach and his coach's wife, and his coach said, the, the banquet's for him! And he said, nevertheless, you have to go through the servant's entrance. And so here's how the movie ended. Jesse Owens and his wife, four gold medals, walk through the servant's entrance, back through the kitchen, and they get on the service elevator to go up to a banquet that was given in his honor. You know what that is? That's inconsistent at its, at its best. And racism is inconsistent, isn't it? Racism. Here, here's how I see racism sometimes in, 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 our, in, our, in our society. If it's our sports team, man, we cheer them on, right? White guys, African-American guys, we know them by their first names. We follow their stats. We want their autographs. Our kids uh, idolize those sports stars. And when they're on our sports team, man, they are awesome. But we don't necessarily want someone of a different ethnicity sitting beside us in church. You know what that is? That's inconsistent. That's sin. That's wrong. And so we are called to love our neighbor. Put away the sin of racism and love all people. Now... I don't know what that looks like for you and for me moving forward. What what does it mean to actually love our neighbor? What does it mean to actually show people from different backgrounds that we care about them? And I don't have all the answers, but here's the way I was challenged uh, a couple of years ago. I was at a gathering of leaders, and we were talking about race relations in our community. And and a gentleman stood up, African-American gentleman, and he said, here's the question. He said, who, listen, who do you allow in your sacred space? Who do you allow around your dining room table? Who do you want in your worship experience sitting near you? Who do you allow in your sacred space? Because most, most of you would say uh, in here, well, I'm not prejudiced. But it even goes deeper than that. Are you reaching out? to invite others of different backgrounds into your sacred space because you truly love them and want to know them and minister to them and have them minister to you. And so we need to lead the way in racial reconciliation by loving all people. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 is talking about God making one body from Jews and Gentiles, people of different ethnicities, 
And Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away the barrier of sin between us and God. But Jesus Christ also died on the cross to take away the barrier between people and make people from very different backgrounds one body. And it says there, Jesus didn't just take the wall away. The word that the the Bible uses is he abolished it. The wall that separates people of different backgrounds has been abolished by Jesus. So if there's a wall, there's a wall we've put up. Amen? It's time we say, not not with me. Not with me. If there's any vestiges of of, of racism or prejudice in my life, I'm going to put it away, and I'm going to honor Jesus Christ by loving all people. Hey, can we agree uh, this morning that all people are made in the image of God? Can we agree this morning that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of all people, not just you? So why would we harbor hatred in our hearts towards someone that Jesus shed his precious blood for? So this, the events of this past week are a call to remind us that we have work to do as believers. So wait, that's not my responsibility Yes, it is. Yes, it is. This, listen, this, these issues are not going to be solved as long as we're just talking about them on social media. It happens in the workplace and in your neighborhood and, and, and in your recreation and in your church. That's where it happens. Grassroots. People that love Jesus and stand on his word and are filled with the spirit and love their neighbor. That's how things are going to change. Which leads me to my fourth admonition, and we'll be through. I want to call you to realize the importance of the ministry of the local church. Over in Matthew 16, when Jesus is talking about the founding of the church, Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and he says, The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, Jesus is saying there his church would ultimately be victorious. And if we are heading to ultimate victory, we ought to be experiencing temporal victory on our way to ultimate victory, right? We ought to see more victory than defeat. So I want to just remind you that what we do as a church, vacation Bible school, supporting FCA, Short-term mission trips in North America and all around the world. Sharing the gospel is of utmost importance. I read this quote last week from James Merritt. He said, if the last three days in America proved anything, it's this. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And I want you to hear me carefully. The only one who can transform the human heart is Jesus Christ. He's the only one. He is the hope of the world and the hope of our nation. And God has called his church to preach and share Christ with a lost and dying and hurting world. So that he can heal and he can forgive and he can transform lives. I hope that the events of this past week remind you of how important what we do here is. We're not just playing church. This is not religiosity. We're not just going through the motions. This is not a, a, a religious country club for us to enjoy. We are being trained to be gospel warriors, to go out into the world and make a difference with the only message that makes a difference. 
So what we do is so vital. Years ago, I read a book by Bill Hybels. He's a pastor in Chicago. The title of the book was Courageous Leadership, and, and he told the story at the beginning of the book about sitting in an airport. And he saw this mother with, with two kids, young kids. He said the kids began to fight. That's not abnormal. I mean, I've got four kids, and that happens, right? And they, they began to fight and tussle, but he said then it turned ugly, and he said it got just violent. And he said the, the older son was just really uh, just hitting with his fist, this younger son, and it just got real violent. He said the mom looked just, just you know, desperate. She didn't know what to do. He said it was just an ugly, ugly scene as, as the, just the violence that's there, uh, the ugliness of the human heart just came out through this, the, the, these two boys and the desperation of a mother. And he said it was at that moment that the Lord laid this on his heart. The local church is the hope of the world. That's why what you do is so important. That's what the Lord was uh, impressing upon. That's why you do is so important. Because people's lives, their hearts need to be transformed. And only the gospel can do that. The local church is the hope of the world. And so, what will we do? We will lead people to hope. If there's one thing I could say about our nation in its current condition, there were still protests last night. If there's one thing I say about our nation, is that our nation is hopeless right now. Hopeless. But we can give people hope by sharing Jesus Christ Jesus is the only hope with this mess. He's the only hope. I believe it all in my heart. Not going to be solved on blog posts. Not going to be solved. Hey, it's not going to be solved by the government. It's not going to be solved by who wins the presidential election. It's not, it's not going to be solved by which political party is in power. Christians are called to lead the way with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how we'll make progress with these issues. Understand how important what we do here really is. I read a prayer last week from Ravi Zacharias. And I want to just read just a quick excerpt of that prayer. We shed another's blood when we are without answers. You shed your own blood as our only answer. We kill, buried in despair. You rise, giving us hope. Jesus is the answer.